Welcome to the Spiritual Advantage Podcast, where we discuss how to make a maximum impact with our lives by fulfilling our divine dreams with divine favor, like the great men and women of faith throughout history. I'm Sam Stone, the Light Keeper. You are the light of the world, and I am the keeper. No pun intended. Let's begin. Recently, I finished reading Perry Marshall's new book, Memoirs from the Head Office. It drew my attention because it received nearly 100% five-star reviews. It's about how entrepreneurs consult God to make business decisions. It's rare to see a business book written by a best-selling author in this category talking about God. It's a very practical book about discerning God's will and communicating with God. You don't have to be in business to enjoy this book because it can be applied to your daily life. If you want to align your life with God's will, you need to develop the discipline of discernment. At times like this, when we are socially distanced due to the prolonged pandemic, our close contact with God is essential to maintain well-being and sanity. God is not just an imaginary friend to keep you a company when you are alone. According to Jesus, he is the practical guide, counselor, and advocate for your daily life, relationships, and leadership. In fact, Jesus said that you could see God if you meet just one condition, pure in heart. That is what the sixth blessing is about. We have to talk about five blessings in the past five weeks. If you have followed these steps, you are about ready to see God at this stage. Let's review the steps. One, consciousness. Without consciousness, there's no progress. Secondly, abandonment. We must abandon everything that keeps us from living in heaven on earth. Thirdly, reliance. We can learn to rely on the abundant resources available for us to move mountains. Fourth, edification. Edification feeds our spirit just as education feeds our mind. Five, forbearance. Forgiveness and tolerance are the only way to living a holy life. Six, refinement. How to condition your spirit to see God. That is our topic today. Seven, enlightenment. That's next week's topic. And eight, endurance. That's the week after next. If you put them all together, it forms the acrostic carefree. Carefree is not the same as careless. It's a childlikeness Jesus repeatedly told us to live. There is a life free of stress and anxiety so that you can shine your light brighter and broader and live life to the fullest as Jesus promised. So now let's proceed with today's topic on seeing God based on what Jesus taught us. Hi, in case we haven't met yet, I'm Sam Stone, the Light Keeper. You are the light of the world and I'm the keeper, no pun intended. It's my calling to help you shine your brightest so that God is glorified in you and you are satisfied in God. Today we focus on the sixth blessing in the Beatitude. It's from Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Listen to the word of the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Matthew 5, 8. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A little girl was drawing a picture in her classroom. The teacher asked her what she was drawing. She said, God. The teacher said, oh no, you can never draw a picture of God. Nobody has ever seen God. The girl said, they will when I'm done. Children are born with a sense of divinity. So Jesus often uses infants and children as our models for spiritual maturity. We often think maturity means becoming sophisticated, but it's the other way around. As T.S. Eliot said, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. So our journey to maturity eventually leads us to where we started and to know it for the first time. That's good. That means we will grow up to become a child and see God. Jesus said, if we have a pure heart, we will receive the blessing of seeing God. It seems our journey to maturity is like a refining process to purify our hearts and see God ultimately. Seeing God can be a confusing topic if we don't read the Bible as a whole. God said to Moses when he requested a chance to see God, he says, you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. Exodus 33, 20. So people often quote this verse to tell you that you cannot see God. Paul also said God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. So it's impossible to see God and live. Some people take these verses out of context and assume we cannot see God at all. However, just 10 verses before this verse in Exodus says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Exodus 33:11. If you look at these verses in the context of the entire Bible, there is no contradiction at all, because when it says people saw God face to face, it was usually at a downgraded version of God. For example, Jacob saw God in the darkness of the night. Job saw God through observing God's fantastic creation. William Blake, one of the greatest thinkers and artists in history, wrote, to see a world in a grain of sand, and heaven in a wild flower, and hold infinity in the palm of your hand, and eternity in an hour. Isn't it beautiful? Since God is omnipresent, people with a spiritual eye can see God's presence everywhere. All you need is a lens called a pure heart. For example, our eyes cannot stare at the bright shining sun because it could damage our eyes but we can safely enjoy the big and beautiful orange sun at dawn and dusk. Even during the day, we can wear a pair of sunglasses to protect our eyes and to see the bright sunshine. In other words, we can see a downgraded version of the sun or a representation of the sun. In the same way, when the Bible talks about people seeing God face to face, it's usually in a safe condition 
for people to see. Sometimes God appears as people, and sometimes in nature. According to Jesus, the condition to see God is through a pure heart. King David asked God to create in him a pure heart so that he could be in the presence of God. He wrote in his psalm, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Psalm 51, 10 to 11. So if you want to be in the presence of God, ask for the blessing of a pure heart. However, be careful what you ask for because a pure heart does not come easy. Like pure gold that must go through a crucible, a pure heart might require a refining fire of adversity. God says through Isaiah, See, I have refined you, but not like silver. I have tested you in the furnace of adversity. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. Isaiah 48, 10 to 11. Life is full of adversity. Sometimes God allows adversity to refine us. I hope the current pandemic does not break us, but refine us for a pure heart to see God. If we can see the tests and trials of life as refining fire, we have a positive attitude because we know the outcome is a fruitful future. Notice the last sentence, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. God purifies us for God's own sake. So your desire for a pure heart is likely to be granted because it is also God's desire for you to have a pure heart. It glorifies him. Jesus also used the image of pruning as an analogy of purifying us. He said, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. John 15, 1-2 The Father prunes the vine so that it will bear more fruit for God's own sake. Being pruned or refined is a painful process, but it's worth the pain because seeing God is priceless. And it leads to enlightenment, which is the next blessing that we will discuss next week. Now let's talk about refinement. What is pure gold? 24 correct gold is pure. What is a pure heart? Based on what Jesus said, the heart that sees God is pure. Let's look at the life of a couple of people who have been through the refining fire and ultimately seeing God. Jacob and Job. Jacob saw God face to face and said, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. Genesis 32:30. The story is that Jacob was on his way back to his home in Canaan after spending 20 years away at his uncle's home. But he stopped and spent a night alone before arriving home. He was afraid of seeing his brother, whom he had uh, deceived two decades ago. That night he met God and wrestled with God. It was a fascinating story. 
the Bible said that God could not prevail against Jacob. Interestingly, God could not win against this 97-year-old Jacob. That implies that uh, it is a downgraded version of God. Then it says God struck him on his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Despite the pain in his hip, Jacob held onto God and insisted that, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then God asked him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Of course, God knew his name, but his name, Jacob, means swindler or supplanter or a cheater. Then God said to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Genesis 32, 28. In other words, God said he was no longer a swindler, but a winner. The new name Israel means someone who had prevailed in the struggle with God and with people. It implies that he has attained the great commandments, loving God and loving people. Then we read about his reconciliation with his alienated twin brother, Esau, the following day. In other words, a pure heart is a heart that has no grudges or guilt. Jacob reached this point at 97 years old by wrestling with God. There were a few people that reached this spiritual maturity at an early age. Jacob's son, Joseph, seemed to have reached his enlightenment stage since he was only 17. The second person who had been through the refining fire and eventually seen God is Job. He said after a grueling experience of losing his wealth, family, and health, I had heard of you, meaning God, by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Job 42.5 Like Job before this point, most people have heard about God through their parents, teachers, churches, and Sunday school classes. They inherited the religion. However, you cannot see God until God becomes your personal God, rather than a figure passed down to you by the hearing of the ear. Both Jacob and Job developed a pure heart through a painful process of refinement. The two stories are very different. One is through physical struggles, but the other intellectual debates. However, they both interpret each other since the principle is the same when it comes to seeing God. And they enrich our understanding of the purification process. Job's story gives us a hint of what happened during Jacob's wrestling with God. Jacob was preparing for his final encounter with his long alienated brother. Would he win his brother back? Or would his brother Esau kill him in revenge? The Bible says Esau was a hairy and macho man, but Jacob was the opposite. He was neat, clean, and contemplative. In fact, the name Esau, Edom, and Adam came from the same root word that means redness, indicating the color of the dust that we are made of. John Kevin said God created us with a sense of divinity. So we are the combination of dust and divinity, or flesh and spirit. 
Jacob represents our divinity that wants to win over the flesh. In other words, Esau is our ego and Jacob is our spirit. The power struggle between Esau and Jacob represents the power struggle between our flesh and spirit. Esau enjoy hunting and fooling around with the Canaanite girls. Canaanites were idol worshippers, which is different from Esau's family. So Esau symbolizes someone who goes with the flow of the corrupt contemporary culture. Jacob, on the other hand, had a higher purpose. He did not follow the trends, but enjoyed putting things in order and had a desire to do God's will. He wants to inherit God's covenant with his grandfather Abraham to bless the world. So he had a noble mission. Have you noticed these twin brothers live inside you? Your life is never happy until you let your Jacob win. You will never see God face to face if you allow Esau to win because God said, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Romans 9.13 So allegorically, you are Rebecca, the mother of the twin. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. Your job is to help Jacob win. In the story, Rebecca plays a significant role in assisting Jacob to win and you must do likewise. In the Christian context, Esau represents the Adam in you, which is your old self, and Jacob Christ inside you, the new creation of you. The word Adam means human or flesh, and Jesus is the divinity. So you must let Jesus win and overcome your flesh so that you are purified and able to see God. The good news is that Jacob is predestined to win. During the pregnancy, Rebecca asked God why she was suffering so much with the twins fighting inside her. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two people born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. Genesis 25:23. Notice it says, the elder shall serve the younger. It means Esau shall serve Jacob. Your flesh will serve the Christ in you. Like Rebecca, sometimes we feel the pain of these twins inside us struggling against each other, maybe even daily. Sometimes you feel your flesh is winning over your divinity. But the good news is that your divinity is predestined to win because God says, the elder shall serve the younger. When you tame your flesh and ego to serve your divinity, that is when you see God. Job, not Jacob, was also confident that he would survive the refining fire. He said, but he, meaning God, knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Job 23.10 so you take the way Rebecca took to help Jacob win, and he will. You will come out as pure gold, and you will see God. Don't fear adversity. Let it be the refining fire to purify you to see God. In fact, in this fallen world, every day is adversity. Life is not a bed of roses, but more like a crucible. 
Every day is an opportunity for refinement if you know how to take advantage of it. That is how you see God and live in heaven on earth. So let us all learn to use adversity as an opportunity to purify our hearts, make our flesh serve our spirit, which will prepare us for enlightenment. Coming up next week, we will talk about enlightenment, the seventh blessing. That's it for today. I hope you find this message illuminating as much as I enjoy receiving it from the head office. Until we meet again, keep your light shining brighter and broader and harvest the fruit of profound happiness. Amen. Bye now. Thank you for listening. If you would like to maximize your life and leadership by unlocking your spiritual advantage, please feel free to direct message me on Twitter at Samuel Stone or visit SamuelStone.com. I'm looking forward to talking with you. See you on the next episode. Bye now.